Welcome to the Inner Dominatrix Podcast, the show that gets you stepping into your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. And as always, I have another exciting guest for you, a dear friend of mine, Nancy Osborne. Nancy has such an incredible story, an incredible background, and I'm actually going to literally pass the mic over and have her introduce herself. Well, hello. As you heard already, my name is Nancy Osborne. So I I do have a rather unusual background. At the age of 17, I ran away from home and joined the army. Um, The circus didn't pay much (laughs) enough, so I picked the army. But I spent 20 years in uh, the biggest boys clubs you can imagine. And from there, I spent a few years exercising the other side of my brain. And I did crafts and carved antler into jewelry and took photographs. Until I got a call that said, do you want to come and work for the UN in the most dangerous places in the world? And I went, oh, of course I do. (laughs) And off I went. So I spent the last 12 years um, traipsing around the world, hopefully getting access for humanitarian aid into some of the most difficult places possible. And I loved it. It was amazing. I retired last year. And now I just have fun. Okay, well, that's not entirely accurate, Nancy. You, Yes, you're having fun at what you're doing, but I know from knowing you that you just can't stay in retirement because you always have to have a project. And I love the fact that you have taken all of this amazing experience working in these, you know, places that are awkward, to say the least, and dangerous. And you're taking that and you're using it to actually teach women how to differentiate who's okay and who's not okay. So maybe just tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing with that piece. Dana, this started before I left the United Nations. And I ended up taking the lead on a program to provide some training for women who were working in some of these most misogynistic and dangerous places in the world. And that training, I immediately realized that they needed far more than physical security or lock your doors. We needed to talk about the emotional and the psychological and the physical as a whole. And the response to that was incredible. I was blown away. I talked to more than 700 women in more than 20 countries. And in every case, it was so well received. By the time I left, they had me train 12 people to take over what I was doing. And when I got home, I thought, you know what? This applies everywhere. Uh, It was Afghanistan to New York. Why not Canada? So I brought a piece of that home. And I've been doing workshops where we talk about predator identification, predator behavior. But we also learn about ways to manage that that are comfortable for women. Because it's fine to say, we'll just scream and yell and somebody will come and help you. But one, there's not always somebody there, nor is that a comfortable place to be in. So the the real point of it is learning how to manage on our own. That has led to some speaking as well, uh, mostly around the corporate side of things, and looking at ways to also manage the predators at the board table and being able to, you know, look after that mansplainer and um, steal back your ideas from the appropriator, those kinds of things. So I am absolutely having a ball and you're right, retirement just 
does not stick. <laughs> I love it. You know, it, it's such an important topic. It's it's super hot right now. Um, the whole Me Too campaign, you know, you and I got talking about this just before getting live here, is that the Me Too campaign is opening people's eyes to just how prevalent the assaults are. And I know people are, uh, you know, the, the Me Too campaign got started about harassment, but yet some of the stories that I'm hearing from people, it's not harassment that they're talking about. They're talking about assault, and yet they're labeling it as harassment, right? We, we, I think we need to change that story. Absolutely. And I think that so many women underplay what they have experienced, because they think, oh, no, somebody's had it worse than I have. And that whole issue around uh, the the fine line between assault and harassment is so fascinating. And I think that's been the real positive aspect of the Me Too campaign in the way that it was worded, that they allowed people who see themselves as having been harassed to have a voice. And that voice, when they say it out loud, suddenly they realize and they compare to what other stories are coming out and realize that, oh, wait a minute, um, this is perhaps more than just harassment. So I think that's super important. And the Me Too campaign, it's brought a light to some people who just assume, oh, well, it's not everybody. But the reality is, I think it's pretty much every woman. I know for me, I've been watching, you know, my feed and whatnot. And, and there's been the odd person that has said, I don't think I've had this problem. But they're really rare, really rare. And and that's what's like, oh, my God, this is so widespread. And I know you and I have been talking about this idea that, you know, it's also bringing to light the other side. Well, that maybe you and I are having the conversations anyways to move it to the other side and saying, you know, why is this so prevalent? Why are things happening? You know, why do people feel it's okay to come up behind some random woman and grab her pussy? Why is that okay? This is this is not okay. And and for anybody who's experienced that kind of, you know, physical touch, that's assault. That's not harassment. That's actually moving into that. And that's, you know, oh my goodness, we could just like be, ah, my head's going to explode. So, <laughs> but, you know, to, to move that conversation and saying, okay, why is this happening? What's really behind the prevalence? And so I have some theories and I have some opinions they're strong opinions, but I want to get your opinion on why do you think it's so prevalent? You know, it's interesting because there's such a culture and it's a culture change that needs to come. So until we address this at the lowest levels, we've got, and I don't want to just tag men because it's not always men, um, the LGBTQI community, all of these different aspects. I think a lot of it still comes from the same place. And you and I both, we talked earlier about the reality of the fact that so many of the perpetrators have been targets themselves um, at some other point in their life. And somehow this normalizes things and it's not right. As you say, these things that we look at and some say, ah, you know, this is what you get if you want to ride public transport. Um, for me, uh, having joined the army in those early days in the mid 70s and gone into an all male branch, you know, people said to me afterwards when the Human Rights Commission was looking at some of the offenses that have happened and so on, they said, well, what's happened to you? And I looked at them and it was hard to actually put my finger on it because it was so prevalent 
that it was actually just the cost of doing business. There was an expectation that you would just take it. And if you couldn't take it, you shouldn't be here. And I think our society has taken on that same persona where, you know, just take it and get on with it. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's there, it's embedded, and we need to dig it out. I, you know, it's great. I, I love that you've actually shown a light on something that I hadn't thought about up until this point. I mean, it's kind of in the back of my mind about the, you just take it, you know, this is part of the, it's the cost of doing business, it's the cost of the job, this is par for the course. And, and that's not acceptable. But yet at the same time, they don't know better, right? This is what's been passed on. And that piece of, I'm completely with you, that the people who are abusing have been abused. And my personal take on it is that I don't think there's anybody on this planet that has not been affected or touched by sexual abuse. And this is, and this sounds harsh, you know, there's going to be people who are going to challenge me on this and go for it. Because even if you haven't been sexually abused yourself, you have grown up with people who are carrying that imprint. Or maybe you were witness to, or you've married to somebody, you've like, there's all these things that, you know, come into play that are subtle, you know, that subtle abuse, it, watching it happen to somebody else creates an interesting imprint. And I, I've had to work with quite a few survivors who are of that sort where it didn't happen to them, but they had to watch. And the survival guilt is crazy. It's so exciting to see, you know, I love the fact that you're actually putting in some programs to teach, you know, women specifically, because the women are the ones that, that need it right now, but the, the, teach the women the tools realistic practical tools to spot the predators and make the changes so I would love for you to share maybe with the listeners a couple of practical tools that people can use today Dana one of the the my favorite things is something that I call the good guy filter and so often women will say to me that you know, I, I thought something was wrong. My my intuition was kind of sparking, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Everything he said seemed polite. He seemed to be kind and generous. And I, I step back and I say, okay, think about someone, because most of us in our lives can think of at least one man, one man who we know respects women and who we know is a kind, generous, good person. And Think about that person. So the example I often use is, you know, if a woman dropped her groceries on the sidewalk, would your good guy offer to help pick them up? And the answer is always, of course he would. Yes. And I go, okay. And if she said, no, thank you, might he offer again? I really don't mind. Let me help. And everybody looks at me and they go, yeah, probably. And I said, and if she said to him one more time, no, thank you. I've got this what would he do? And every single one of them has said he'd walk away. He might feel bad that he couldn't help her, but he'd walk away. No is not the start of a negotiation. And so when someone is stepping over that line, it can often sound very kind, helpful, you know, a wonderful person, but filter it through your good guy filter and think, would my good guy be saying this to a woman that he didn't know or that he's working with? Would my good guy be 
be doing what's happening here. And when you go, no, actually, he wouldn't, you realize what's behind this. And this is one of the keys that we use for predator identification, because this person's intentions are probably not good. That is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You know, it's simple, it's clean, and we can get it. And and it just, it's, oh, you know what, Nancy, that is freaking awesome. But then I don't expect anything less because I know you've been running these workshops for a long time. And that's, you know, the practical tools are what you're known for, is to really bring people the the ways to easily identify who's okay and who's not okay. And I know you're a big one for trusting your intuition, which is a huge piece for me as well. I'm a big proponent of that. So I'm wondering if you have some cool little tricks for people to get back in touch with their intuition. Put you on the spot. I know. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Intuition, and, and I also use a lot of examples that perhaps relate to animals. So, you know, why do dogs chase cats? Cats run. Why do dogs chase squirrels? Squirrels run. So, you know, if we look at animals and animal posture and animal instincts, um, I have a great little series of pictures that I use around that uh, catatonic state that a lot of women find themselves in when something happens. And I think, you know, understanding that is also in a way to avoid that. Because if we understand what's happening in our bodies, and we tap into our intuition, and we realize why our bodies are reacting the way they are, then we have ways then of dealing with it. But I have this great little series of pictures of uh, a cat that's got a chipmunk in its mouth. And the chipmunk, for all intents and purposes, appears to be dead, just dangling from the cat's mouth. Now, the chipmunk, a lot of people you know, I've heard in the past, oh, he's playing dead. Well, he's not. He's in a catatonic state. And then when the cat puts the chipmunk down, all of a sudden the chipmunk's head comes up. He's wide awake and he leaps away and the cat's lost the chipmunk. So, you know, these are these are defense mechanisms that are built right into our bodies. And so, you know, we have fight, flight, and freeze. And all three are completely valid. But I think that when we can tap in and understand what's happening inside of us, then we have different options. And I think every woman will tell you, you know, someone walks through the door and he made me uncomfortable. But none of us act on that. All of us say, well, yeah, he made me uncomfortable afterwards. So, you know, acting on that does not require us to go up and confront the situation or run away or leave the room or go home, you know, or tell somebody. It's not necessary. But when those instincts kick in, that's when we need to have, you know, our body language reflect those instincts. You know, I do quite a bit around body language on the training. And I often tell people, you know, if you ask my good friends, they're going to tell you that I walk down the main street with my head down looking at my feet so I don't stumble looking in store windows and everything else. But the moment those spidey senses sort of feel like something isn't right. That's when my shoulders come back, my head comes up, my chin comes up, and I begin to walk with confidence. And this is something that I stress with women that when you feel that sense is not a time to roll your shoulders and come into yourself, but rather to expand as you you would say, expand your body and own your space, because that's the tool to react to that instinct. But it isn't aggressive. It's not assertive. It's not emotional, but it speaks volumes. That's brilliant. 
That's brilliant. I know. I put you right on the spot and look at you. You're like, just roll with it. See, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. You have no problem. I can just put you on the spot, ask you anything and you'll come up with something brilliant. Right. But it is, I love the simplicities of that in that, that confidence stance, there is something dramatic about this that when you, and if you're in a spot where it feels kind of like scary, you just, you know, you Put on that suit of, you know, invisible suit of armor where you feel strong. It's been, it's been proven that when you come across with that energy, you project that energy out. People who are looking for those to target are not going to pick the ones who look strong. Why would they? They don't look like an easy target. They're going to move on. I mean, this is the reality. It's harsh to think of it that way. But the reality is that's what they're looking for. They're looking for an easy target. So if you make yourself not look like an easy target, same thing in nature, right? Why do the porcupines put their quills up? Well, they're not as easy of a target. (laughs) So we want to put our quills up and make ourselves less attractive. You know, this is a, a really interesting point because I had one young woman who said to me, I'm struggling with that message. And that was exactly the message that I was trying to give. And she said, because what I'm doing is by not making myself a target, I feel like I'm shifting that to another woman. So we spend some time as well to talk about how do we support other women when we see situations that we know are wrong. And, you know, I so often hear I heard something on the radio today about someone stepping up and saying, you know, well, I wanted to intervene. I wanted to stand up and tell this guy that he was wrong. And, you know, think about the Portland situation where two guys died. And the one thing you don't want to do is escalate the situation. And you certainly don't want to do something that that the target doesn't want you to do. But there are other ways that we can step in and support a woman. And I think of one that I saw on the street one day where, you know, this guy had stopped and he probably asked this woman for directions. But there were lots of people on the street, lots of people who were not alone, lots of people who weren't women. And yet he picked her. When she kept walking and didn't talk to him, he began yelling obscenities at her, following her down the street, calling her all kinds of names. And, you you know, she's feeling very embarrassed. And the reality is, people aren't really looking at him, they're looking at her trying to figure out what she did. So, you know, what I say is when we see these things, just walk up beside her and engage her in conversation. And just say, look, no point in you standing here taking this alone. Let's just walk to the corner together until he gets the idea and wanders off. So it's that presence and providing that presence and your confidence and your body language with that other woman. So there are ways that we can also help each other. Yeah, it's great. I remember hearing a story, you know, when when there was all that backlash uh, against the Muslim women in the on the on the transit, and I remember hearing a story where there was a woman who um, who was white, and she was watching a Muslim woman be harassed by somebody, and there was an empty seat beside her, so she just came and she just sat down and she did that very thing. She just engaged the woman in conversation, and it diffused the situation. So he stopped and he went away. So it is a very effective tool. And it's simple. I I love that it's, you know, it's non-confrontational. It's something that pretty much any of us can do. And it's a nice way to to know that, okay, there's a way that we can support each other. And I'm all for the non-violent confrontation, because the last thing you want to do is engage somebody who is a little bit off their rocker to begin with. 
Oh my goodness. So what would be your one message that you would want to get out into the world? Well, it's it's hard to bring it down to a single message, but I think what's really important is that women need to, you know, and I hear it over and over, step into their power, but I'd like to see women where they make their their presence undeniable and their voice resonate, because I think that speaks volumes to where we should be in society and how we change that culture. Beautiful. I am totally with you. Rock on, sister. That, yeah, we, we, it's time to have for, for everyone to have a voice, but in particular, because women's voices have been so squashed for so long, that I think we can do well to play, pay a little bit of attention, particularly to the woman's voice, and really strengthening that up. It's like how Me Too is resonating around the world right now. You know, I, I'm so excited about the Me Too campaign. I really am. I know that a lot of people have felt traumatized by the volume that's out there. But I think in some cases, it's kind of like, if you want to reorganize your room, you have to make a big mess before you can clean it up and make it into something that's more functional. And I think that's kind of where we're at as a society is that we're making a giant mess, sometimes with help of some interesting leaders, right? <laughs> but we're making this giant mess so that what about what's going to come on the other side? It's going to be painful. It's going to be messy. It's going to be awkward. But I wonder what's coming at the other side. Well, and, and I wonder, too, with this Me Too campaign and the way that it's been put forward, how many of these people, when they just write Me Too, is the first time that they've ever said anything. And so this is that first step to open the discussion and to open that road to healing, which comes to people like you, Dana, because this is where there are supports, there's ways to do this. And just by saying nothing more than me too is an amazing step to take. And I want to venture that there's a whole lot of the Me Too's that we see out there that have just kept this to themselves forever, because maybe they didn't think they were important enough. It wasn't bad enough. But all of a sudden, somebody's given them permission. And look at this, it's, it's anonymous permission to just say, yeah, me too. And I think that it comes back to that old saying, there are there is a strength in numbers. And there's a strength in knowing that you're not alone. Um, a recent thing that I've been working on just brings this to mind, that, for instance, in some private schools or residential schools, when one person finally has the, the courage and the strength to come forward and say, this happened to me, and I want to work through it, I want to heal, then all of a sudden, the number of other people who step up well, look at Bill Cosby. One person comes forward and all of a sudden there's 60 because you're not alone in it. And all of a sudden it's somehow easier to look at someone else and go, he shouldn't have done that to her. Whereas it's harder to say he shouldn't have done it to me. But when we're in it together, you can suddenly own that and go, no, and he shouldn't have done it to me either. You know, it's interesting. That just brings up a point. I was reading so one of the books that, I've, that I keep you know, referring back to every now and then is, it's called Pussy, A Reclamation by uh, Gina, Mama Gina. In there, she says that, you know, women find their strength in supporting other women. And I think this is true. I think this is really indicative of the Me Too campaign. It's like, I won't do it for me, but if I see that all of my sisters 
are hurting, then I will lend my voice and I will lend my strength and, you know, together, banding together. And that's the beauty of what, you know, we're capable of as a humanity, not just as women, but as a humanity to actually start banding together and say, we need to change this. It's time for this story to change. And, and that, like I said, that's really the, the, the big piece for me is like, oh my goodness, the world has a potential pivot point to actually start healing. I know we could just like go on and on because I get I get all fired up about this topic, right? It's just incredible, <laughs> incredible. Um, so maybe just do a shout out just before we leave of, you know, where can people get in touch with you and um, what's going on? Well, I do happen to have a website and it is www.igotthis.space. So that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. And of course, there's a contact sheet there. Um, don't limit the contact to what's on the website. By all means, ask a question. Fantastic. Yes. So check that out because Nancy has some incredible workshops that she runs teaching people much more deeply than we've gotten into today, obviously. And, you know, getting you connected with how do you spot a predator? How do you avoid the predator? And how do you, you know, start taking back your power and really standing and feeling confident and who you are. So Nancy, I am so delighted that you took the time to come on my show. Thank you. Yay. Thank you for having me, Dana. I, I mean, this was a bit of a surprise and an absolute wonderful one. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to The Inner Dominatrix, the show that lets you step into your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to tell your friends about it. And if you're ready to own your inner dominatrix, then hop over to my website, innerdominatrix.com and let's have a conversation to get you rocking your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. <laughs>